Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. That's really good to be here. Now, I, I don't know really what is worse in your eyes. Is it the fact that we now live in, in Lancashire, or is it the fact that originally we came from the south of England? I mean, it's, it's a bit of a double whammy, really, isn't it? But I've heard that you're very gracious here in Yorkshire, and uh, especially in Doncaster. So it's, uh, it's great to come over here. We had a, a nice, nice, easy trip with uh, the roads nice and clear. And uh, we, we've been in a very similar situation to yourself with, with church planting. I just, just sort of say, uh, give a little bit of a background of where we're coming from, because I think it's important that you, you know us uh, just, just a little bit. We were um, in church in Crawley in, in Sussex, which was the New Frontiers Church, but uh, been around a while, more sort of established. And uh, through sort of various means, the Lord spoke to us very clearly. Um, about um, church planting. It was sort of on the back burner for a little bit. You know, sort of one day this will happen to you. And so thinking, oh, how, how are we going to know, Lord? You know, but I just felt him saying, oh, you'll, you'll know at the time. And, uh, and certainly he did make it very clear to us. And uh, if, if um, you know, a little bit about the history of New Frontiers, uh, you know that we started much more as a group of churches in the southeast. And uh, then there was a, a big step to Manchester. Just, just get you rustling out of the way now. That's right. <laughs> There's some reason I can't eat one and speak at the same time. This isn't fair. <laughs> so uh, there would be a church in Manchester. And Bolton's just outside Manchester. We felt the Lord moving us there. Uh, it, it was a miracle in a way that God got us up there. Uh, there was about 12 people when we arrived there. We'd been travelling into the church in Manchester for about a year. So we went to Manchester on our Sunday morning, sort of 30 minutes drive. And then we had a home group um, meet around different houses uh, during the week. And sort of slowly started from there. And I just want to encourage you, actually, that the size that, that you are now, I think you're honestly doing much better than we were when we were this size. You know, I think there's a, there's a great spirit here. And I, I just want to encourage you to appreciate what, what you've got. You know, we've given a very warm welcome. Um, you know, you, you, you know that you, this is your church, everybody's church. And I just want to encourage you that you're doing, you're doing well, just from the little glimpse uh, that we've had so far. Okay, now Owen spoke, asked me to speak about faith for finances. Um, I understand that Dave from Selby spoke on a, a similar thing not that long ago. Um, but uh, who, who hears something once and then has learnt it all and puts it all perfectly into practice? Well, I'm not like that. Um, but I think, you know, quite what often happens, God gives us different camera angles, as it were, to help us to appreciate the whole thing. So I'm quite happy about um, speaking about this again. It's something that I think is quite close to my heart. Uh, it's something like most things, I think, if not everything. Well, I've, I've certainly not learnt it all. God always sends along fresh challenges. Now, when you see that phrase... I wonder what sort of idea that conjures up in your mind. You know, maybe you're thinking about your personal or your family circumstances. Um, you know, maybe when that comes into mind, you're, you're thinking about where the church is at or some, some bigger, wider thing. Uh, maybe some of you sort of look at that and, and you feel very positive about that. You know, you're, you're a go-getting sort of person. 
Uh, other people, this would, be, would have been my sort of starting point before the Lord sort of worked to me, I'd be more inclined to be anxious, if not a little bit fearful, and, and know that I'm, I need the Lord to help me into a stronger position from that. And, and it, I'm not worried where you are as individuals now, because grace means that the Lord comes to us just where we are, just how we are, and takes us on from there. You know, he doesn't say, you've got to get to this standard first, whatever the subject is. He knows you. He knows where you're at. And he wants to take you on an on a exciting journey with him. Okay, what I want to do, first of all, I just want to lay a few foundations. And uh, so the next slide just shows four things, which I'm going to go through fairly quickly. There's loads more I could say about each of those. But I just want to give a little bit of an overview uh, from one Bible passage which has got those four phrases in to help us to, to get a, a good framework, if you like, for I believe how God views money and possessions, how he wants us to view money and possessions as well. And I feel they're like four legs on a table. So if this, this nice table here, shouldn't be jogging it really, should I, with the projector on it? You know, if I took one of these legs away, if I took one of those legs away very carefully and, uh, you know, just, just touch it very gently, then it might balance for a little while, but as soon as you put any weight on it, psh, big mess, expensive, replace the projector. You know, you need the stability of all four of those legs. And that's just what I want to say, really, about those four things. If we emphasize one thing, but we forget about something else, then actually, sooner or later, we're going to be in trouble. But the four things which together give a great foundation. So let's look at the, the passage which we've got on the screen, but if you want to follow it, it's uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, this first bit is verses 6 to 10. It says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, in other words it means daily necessities, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Then on to verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world and you do realise that that is every single person in this room when you look at us by the standards of the whole world. We're rich. Those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, <coughs> but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. Be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So if you could go on to the next one, that's right. Keep that on there, thank you. So we've got all those the elements, all those table legs in that passage in many other places in the Bible as well. And the first phrase that I put up there is dependence. Being dependent on God. To see that God is our provider. He's the source of everything that, that we have. 
It puts it poetically in the Old Testament. He, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God's got it all. And it's here for us. And in that passage that we looked at, this is not just a gentle little bit of advice. He says, command them. You know, he's saying, look, he, he knows our weakness. And he says, this is really important. Make sure you get this across strongly and clearly. Command them to put their hope in God. Why? Because it is God who richly provides us with everything. We've got to start with understanding who God is. Seeing what God is like. And he, above many other things, is one who knows our needs and will provide for us. We can be, and we should be, dependent on him. Now I think it's helpful sometimes if we're trying to grasp an idea, grasp a principle, to look at the opposite. So just a quick couple of things. What is it then that we shouldn't be, which is like the opposite of being dependent on God? We shouldn't be independent. We shouldn't be self-sufficient when it comes to money. We shouldn't be proud or arrogant. You know some people who've got this sort of attitude, I've got where I am today by my own efforts, thank you very much. But that's not the attitude that the Lord is looking for from us. Or maybe, uh, I don't know who of you is in employment, or you know, maybe some of you picking up a, a, a cheque from the Social Security each week, but you know, it's ever so easy. I've been in a situation where I think, oh yeah, well the, the paycheck's going to come at the end of the month, isn't it? And where's God in that picture? And I need to remind myself, actually it all comes from God. It's him who's looking after me. and mustn't be self-sufficient. Likewise, not to be fearful. If God is our provider, we really don't need to be afraid. There's no room for fear. And in a situation of need, and I'll tell you, if you, know, if you haven't been in a situation of need, you will be sooner or later. That's what happens to, to all of us. We, we've really got to get it firmed up in our heart that we can depend on God to look after us. And you know, actually, being in a situation of need can just teach us volumes about God's goodness and about his loving provision for us. Actually, more than in situations of plenty, more than when we've got spare money left over. You really learn about God when you need to depend on him. So that's the first thing that God wants us to be clear about. You can depend on him. And he wants us to be explicitly dependent on him. The second thing is that God actually wants you to enjoy life. (laughs) You know, we sometimes have this funny picture, or the world maybe has this funny picture of Jesus walking around, around a bit sort of super spiritual and very serious. I don't think that's the Jesus that I read about in my Bible. I think they had a good time in the Bible. And uh, you know you know how to enjoy yourselves this morning, which is great. Now you can enjoy it, because you see, if it's God who provides for us, and he gives us the ability to work, the, you know, to use our hands or our brains, whatever it is, then it's like he's giving us permission, he's giving us a mandate to enjoy this world that he's put us in, and all its material blessings. And there's a little passage, a little verse in that passage which said that. He says, he says, command them to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything, but then he doesn't stop there, richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
And you know, this is something we're learning in, in our church to celebrate a bit, a bit more. To uh, uh, you know, something good happens. Make sure we really make the most of it. Have a good time. Have a good party. You know, who who's serious? Cults are serious. You know, people get a bit weird. You know, that's that's not very attractive. You know, if you're having a good time, you will be attractive. And God wants you to enjoy the things that you've got. So what's the, enjoy, the opposite of that? That we shouldn't be. We must not be anti-money or have a sort of poverty spirit. That is not what I read in my Bible. It is not more spiritual to be poor. Or to have the attitude that money and possessions, well, it's something just of this world. Uh, I'll avoid them or I'll, I'll go even a step further than that and despise them. You know, Jesus came into our physical, material world and was an integral part of it. Money is not to be despised, it's to be enjoyed. We are the centrepiece of his creation. He made us to live in it and enjoy it. So, if you do have something, if you have got a bit of money, if you are doing alright, if, if you have got a house to live in and you, you have got a decent sort of car, you don't need to be embarrassed about it. There's nothing wrong with having and owning things. Because God gives them to you. Get on and enjoy them. God gives them to you. You know, you don't receive a Christmas present, so I don't think I could really use that. Well, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Well, God gives us this stuff. So let's get on and enjoy it. Coming on to the third thing. Okay, you might say. So if God wants us to enjoy material things, should we make that our goal then? To get richer? To have more things? Bigger things? Better things? Newer things? That's why we need the four legs on the table to keep it all in balance. Contentment is the third principle. I tell you, that is a fantastic word, a very liberating word. In that, that we read out, it said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, you're doing really well if you're godly and you're content. And he says, if we've got food and clothing, which we might use to throw, you've got a roof over your head and you've got enough to get by, we'll be content with that. Now, what's the opposite of contentment? Could be, say, for example, being greedy or materialistic. And there was a big warning, wasn't there? The love of money gets you into all sorts of evil. So we don't love money for money's sake. We don't love things for things' sake. That's, that's missing the point, isn't it? That's what the Bible calls idolatry. You put something in the place of God. Instead of pursuing God and wanting to know Jesus more, you're pursuing the thing that he gave you. So you enjoy it, but it's not your gold. It's not your God. So not greedy, not materialistic. Now also, this is, this is very important for keeping good relationships within a church. Not to be jealous or critical of what other people have. Let's be realistic. You're always going to have richer people and have poor people, poorer people. There's always going to be a variation. That's, that's how it is in society. That's how it is in the church. Now, why have, if you look at somebody else who's got a bit more than you, why have, why have they got more than you? You know, it could be they've worked hard. <laughs> it could be they've got to that place because they really deserve it. They've really applied themselves to, to some study or working hard at a, a job and just doing their best in God. And they were trustworthy in the little things, as the Bible says. So maybe God has said, ah, oh, that's good. 
I can entrust you with more things. And even if you look at somebody and you think, well, I'm not sure if they deserve what they've got. I'm not sure if they deserve to, to be uh, as rich as they are. Well, the Bible still commands us not to cover anything that our neighbour has. Because, you know, it's not about, have I got this much? Or have I got that much? Or they've got this more than me? That's not the point. You know, I know richer people who are very content with their very much. And I know poorer people who are very content with their little. You know, in their, in their own way, they're both really rich because they're content in God. And likewise, I know richer people who are jealous and greedy for more. And I know poorer people who are jealous and greedy for more. It's not to do with how much you've got. It's how you see it, how you view it, and what you do with it. Philippians, uh, in Philippians, Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. You know, if he says, I've learned something, that says to me, it didn't necessarily come naturally to him. He had to work at it. He had to apply himself. But he says, I've learned the secret of being content. So that was the third thing. So if we are content, does that therefore mean that we are free to do what we like with what we have? Can we just get on with it, spend it willy-nilly as we feel? Well, no, because our fourth very important leg of the table is wisdom and generosity. The Bible says loads about how we spend and how we use what we have. Not a question of is it a little or is it a lot, but what do you do with what you've got. So you mustn't be thinking, oh, well, I've only got this much. God doesn't say how much have you got. He says, what are you doing with what you've got? Rich and poor can be very wise. Rich and poor could be very foolish with their money. So we mustn't be, think about the opposites, foolish or wasteful. You know, I know people who, are, who have been in debt not because oh, they've had a hard life and you know, well, everything's been against them. They're in debt because they've made some very bad and selfish decisions. That's how they've got themselves into that situation. Now, not everybody is like that. But I know some people like that. God wants us to be wise. God wants us to learn wisdom, to learn the godly, spiritual way to handle and use money. So whether you're in debt, whether you say you feel, oh, I've just got enough, or whether you're one of those, uh, to, to, to me, lucky people who seem to have plenty to spare, you've all got to, a responsibility for what you do with what you've got. And you've all got an accountability. Because, you know, the Bible describes us as stewards. Everything I've got is on loan from God. That's why... I can't just do what I like with it. Because one day, one of the things God is going to say to me is, so what did you do, Rob, with what you had? And that's why we need that wisdom. That's why we need to not be foolish or wasteful, but use it wisely. The other thing that we must not be is selfish or stingy or reluctant. Can't you smell stingy, reluctant people a mile off? 
There's something about them, isn't it? They might, they might do something or say something or give something, but you know their heart's not really in it. Now, I don't think Jesus is like that. I don't think God is a million miles anywhere near that. God is a generous God, and he wants us to be generous too. And in that passage again, we were commanded, commanded to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. That is a fantastically powerful thing. Rich in God's eyes equals, not how much you got in the bank, rich in God's eyes equals someone who gives and shares and serves generously. And whether you're talking about your money or the, the things that you own, the, the various possessions, you could do something just out of duty, but the Lord wants you to do it or to give it or to use it out of a willing heart. Your home your car if you've got one, your money, whatever it is. God loves a cheerful giver, it says. So I hope that that has given you just a little bit of a, a structure to hang things on. And it's, it's very important that we're good at all of those things. God wants us to excel in this stuff. Okay, if we could go on to the, the next screen. I, I'm, I want us to talk about why we give. You know, you give into... Vision. What I mean by that is actually at the end of the day, if you really want something, and if something's really important to you, nobody needs to tell you to spend money on it. So, you know, you imagine this, this young couple uh, deeply in love with each other. You know, nobody needs to say to them, I really think you should spend a bit of time together. Or, I really think that you should do something together and, and uh, you know, buy each other presents. You know, the, the flowers turn up, the, all, all these things that, that men are generally pretty useless at. You know, somebody's smitten with, with love. Well, suddenly, it all springs out of nowhere. You know, they, the, the mum doesn't need to say, look, darling, I really think that you should buy your, your, your girlfriend some flowers or something. You know, suddenly you're going out for a meal or whatever. Now, lots of different contexts you might apply that to, but... You, you think about yourself, you know, if you're committed to something, you spend time and money on it. That's what I mean, really, by we give into vision. So when we look at it in, in the terms that we should be understanding it, the first, I've got two things. The first thing is that we need to understand that how we use our money now is linked to eternity. It's not just, if I do this now, this might happen to me next week. We need a much bigger picture than that. Now, you might not have ever really noticed, but nearly every time that the New Testament talks about giving and money, it links it with heaven. Nearly every passage. You've got this practical thing of, here's my money, my hard-earned money. And in the same breath, it talks about eternity. Let me read you very quickly three passages. The first we've already seen. It says, be generous and willing to share. In this way, you will lay up treasure for yourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. They often talked about this age, in other words, this life on earth, and the coming age, the age in heaven. So, in a way that I haven't got time to talk about today, when you do the right thing with your money now, it is in some way a preparation for what we're going to experience in heaven. In Luke chapter 16, verse 11, Jesus said, If you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, 
who will trust you with true riches? In other words, he's saying, guys, this is a practice run. But you only get one practice. The real thing is in heaven. Handling eternal heavenly things. And guess what? You can get ready for it now. You're not going to turn up and say, oh gosh, how do I do this? He says you can get ready for it. How? By learning how to handle your worldly riches wisely. And then in Matthew chapter 6, a well-known passage, Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures. Now actually, he doesn't say that. He says a bit more than that. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. In other words, you know, just accumulate selfishly. He says, you know, the moth and the rust and the thieves are going to get the stuff there. But actually, he says, you should store up treasures. But just make sure, guys, that you do it in the right place. He says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's this key verse, which is what I mean by vision. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I just want to encourage us to get that big vision. That there is a whole of eternity in front of us. And what you do with your money now is linked with what is going to happen in eternity. You can get practicing now. And you're going to have that reward again. There's so much more we could be say, uh, could say about it. But I want to have that, that reward of God saying to me, well done. Like the parable of the talents. You've been a faithful and a wise steward. Now, come and see everything I've got prepared for you. The reward of God's well done. The reward of heavenly treasures. Now, if I could just put, put the next heading up. Bringing it down to where I am now, where all of us are now. What, what is one of the things that we pray? We pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we start with this big picture, this big panorama, the backdrop to everything that we do. But the action of the play, if you like, if, the, if eternity is the backdrop, the action of the play is us here and now and we need vision of how what we're doing in Doncaster and Bolton at, your, at home, at your place of work wherever it is to understand how your piece of the action fits in with the big picture and you give your, what you have and, uh, and what you own into that big picture not just for something a long time in the future but because God's mission is now God wants you to use it wisely now. The kingdom will come in all its fullness, but Jesus Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. It's here now. It's broken into the present. In other words, let's get going now. Let's not wait until sometime vaguely in the future to start. We need a vision now. If you've got vision now of how important and how valuable your your possessions and your money uh, are, then I tell you, you can... Uh, you, you will give, you will be motivated to do so much more. And I just want to encourage you with the balance here, just thinking for a moment about a church context. You know, leaders need to teach on these things. Leaders need to exhort us to, uh, to do all the stuff that is in the Bible. But actually, each one of us is accountable to God. 
for how much we've allowed it to get hold of us. And every one of us has got a responsibility to look at this and say, okay, what does it say? Am I doing all these things? We've got to get stuck into God's mission as it says in the word and as it's outlined, uh, as, as it's outworked through the church. And when it's in your heart, when the kingdom, when the mission has got hold of you, I tell you, it is a pleasure to give. It is a joy to give. If you could put the next setting up. And this is my, my last bit, really. Faith to give comes before faith to receive. You know, I said at the beginning, when I put this setting up, what does it make you think of? And, uh, you know, there's a good chance that a number of us think, I need <laughs> faith to receive. I've got this need. I need some help, Lord. And the Lord understands that. And uh, he's very concerned about your needs. And he wants to meet your needs. But, you know, the Bible commands and the Bible exhortations are primarily to be generous. Mirroring, mirroring the generosity of God to us. Faith to receive is important. Having what we need is very important. But the Bible, in the Bible, receiving is always linked to giving. Like following on, tucked in behind it as a secondary thing. So if you want to know about receiving, you first need to know about giving. If you want faith to receive, first of all, you need to get better and, and, and grow more in your faith to give. Our part is to concern ourselves with being obedient to God. Building the kingdom, growing in generosity. God's part is to be the loving, generous father who looks after the needs of his children. And you know what? God does his bit really well. <laughs> he doesn't need any training. He doesn't need us to, to tell him how to do that. He is very good at his part. And we just need to practice at our part. And the more we realise how generous God is to us, the more that frees us to be generous ourselves. And uh, you, you might be aware of the passage which links these two things together. There's more than one passage. But in 2 Corinthians 9, chapter 6, six Paul says, Remember this. Whoever so sparingly, or you could say stingily, will reap sparingly. But whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So if you're concerned, which most of us are, about having our needs met, a significant part of the answer is growing in the generosity of our giving. Now let me just give you uh, a few examples of uh, God's provision and God's generosity uh, from our family life. Because, uh, you know, there's the great principle, but I just want to encourage you some real things that have happened to us. And I'm quite sure that if I went around, uh, you know, you'd have um, some own stories for yourselves where God has is, is looked after us. And I'll just quickly go through some of those things. You know, number one, God gave me a job. And we shouldn't despise that. I mean, we shouldn't say, well, that's just because I filled in a good application form and I could did a good interview. You know, for example, when we were moving from uh, Crawley up to Bolton, uh, I had been working for the church full-time in Crawley, but we were in this brand-new pioneering situation. There was no need to have anybody 
working for the church at that stage and there wasn't any money to, to really give me anything anyway. So, you know, I needed to find a job and I found that very hard from 250 miles distant and uh, it took a lot of slog and it took a lot of prayer and it took a lot of learning to depend on God. And I wish I could put my hand up and say, I was faithful, I just went in and I claimed the promises and it all worked out just like that. I'd be lying to you if I said that. I found it really hard. And I felt up and down and up and down and, and, it taught, and it made me wonder all these things about God's character. And I thought, I've been a Christian so many years and I'm supposed to be a church leader. And I'm still doubting if God's good to me. <laughs> but God got me a job. And that is God's provision for us. Uh, this is perhaps more into Helen's realm sometimes. Uh, Helen's had a job from time to time. She had a full-time job, part-time job, career jobs, odd jobs. Done a bit of everything really. Been, been a house mum, looked after the kids, whatever's appropriate to, at different stages. But uh, I tell you, we've got some great bargains when we've really need them, needed them. And you know, it's a funny thing that we seem to come across the bargains when we need them most. I'm assuming here, of course that we're, we're looking to God to meet our needs. And then we're asking him to help us, not taking it for granted. But, you know, we do get some bargains um, on all occasions. But, you know, when we've really needed it, suddenly, sometimes, something's just come up. You know, and we, and we mustn't overlook that. We, we, you know, we have to realise that's, that's one of the little ways that God can surprise us and look after us. Another thing, we've needed the, the wisdom and the humility to, to, when we need it, buy stuff second hand. Get them from charity shops. Uh, you know, if somebody gives me a, a designer top or something like that, I'll wear a designer top because ultimately God's given it to us. But if, if we're wearing stuff from charity shops, we're wearing stuff from charity shops. Is it about pride and image? Sometimes I feel it is, but it's not. You know, let's have some wisdom, let's have some humility. And a different, uh, on a different tack, God sometimes calls, I believe, a very old car to keep running for a very long time. <laughs> and then, just when some money turned up, the car then died. You know, is that a coincidence? I can't prove to you that it's more than a coincidence. But it's a funny thing, isn't it, that when we pray, coincidences happen. You know, that's God looking after us again. Sometimes we've been given money from friends in the church. Uh, sometimes we've been given money from, from parents or other family. Sometimes we've been given money from complete strangers. Um, and our church in Crawley was quite a big uh, church. And uh, so, okay, it was somebody in the church, but you, know, you, you didn't know who everybody was. And when it came to moving up to Bolton, we didn't say anything about money, actually. We didn't realise how short of money we would have been. Maybe we, if we had known, we might have been tempted to say something about it. But we didn't say anything about money. But the Lord knew we were going to need a bit of extra help. And I think about 12 people, uh, some, some old friends who'd moved away, some people in the church, come say, I just feel I want to give you something. And, you know, sometimes it was £10 or £20 or something. This person in the church, whose name I could barely remember... Gave us about three thousand pounds. Oh, my eyes were very high. Thank you. You know, <laughs> and you know, I didn't know I'd need it, but you know, God doesn't always do that. I, I can't remember the last time that, that God used that particular way of looking after our needs. But when we needed it, God pulled that particular rabbit out of the hat, if you like. I've even had money from the tax man. That when, you, when, a, when a tax bank gives you money, you know God is with you, I tell you, in that one. 
we, we've been offered rent-free accommodation sometimes, uh, like use of a home for, for a holiday. We've been offered the use of a car when we, we didn't at one point have use of a car. You know, so many different imaginative ways that your Heavenly Father wants to look after you. He's taught us to be economical. He's taught us not to waste things. He's taught us to be a wise steward of our resources. And you know, I think almost bigger than any of these things, he's provided for us by helping us to be generous. <laughs> that might sound a contradiction in terms, but when you dig into these verses, it makes absolutely, absolute sense. The best way for God to provide what you need is to obey his command to be generous. It works. Follow the manufacturer's instructions for best use of the product. Okay? We've got some great instructions here. And they work. Just very briefly before I finish, uh, example of generosity and provision in our church life. Now, you mustn't think that we started with this little group and just sort of smoothly sailed through to the size we are now. No, no, no. Hasn't worked like that. Hard work. But there was this particular point, I can't quite remember how many years ago, where we were about this sort of size, give or take ten people, something like that. And we were due to lose half the church's income in the three, uh, four months that were stretching ahead of us. Some of this was because of a church plant. We wouldn't normally be planting out when you're that size, but it was complicated situation but I can't explain that but there were some very good givers in this church plant and so if I'm really honest I was thinking I'm not sure if I want these guys to go and start this new church because they're going to take a lot of money with them and then also just at the same time there was um, one or two couples who were good faithful members and, and in good jobs and, uh, and giving out of that um, they, they said oh we're going to be moving away we've, we've I've had a promotion or something like that and you knew it was the right thing for them to do so you say oh that's really nice <laughs> I'm really pleased for you I'm not so pleased for myself and, uh, and you know through good things we were due to lose 50% of our income now I was working full time for the church at that stage and again, I, I wish I could say that I just took it in my stride. I didn't. I needed to keep praying and keep praying and keep praying about it for, for my own heart and to think, Lord, you know, how, how are you going to help us in, in the church here? And I just had to, to think, okay, Lord, you've planted this church. I absolutely believe we're in the right place and I'm doing the right thing. If I do need to go back and, and get another job part-time for a while, fine, Lord. Don't know how I do it. But we're here, Lord, and we're just going to carry on being obedient and doing the right thing. And it might not always work out in this particular way, but what happened with us is that somehow the money just kept coming in. And a few new people turned up who started giving quite quickly, or people who'd been giving a while um, increased their giving. And so six to, months, six to nine months later, our giving had come back uh, to that same level as we'd had it before. And uh, when I saw the sort of figures from the treasure, I was, yes, yes, Lord, you know, you've done it. Oh, that's really good. But you know, then also, there was like a, a almost a disappointment. Maybe I shouldn't have felt that. But the reason I, I, my second feeling was a disappointment was because, you know, like yourself, I, I've got a vision to, for more. 
You know, this is great where we are, Lord, but Lord, I don't want it to be just me. You know, we want to have a team. We want the church to be much better. And, and so, Lord, we've only just got back onto the first step, having been tottering on the edge of it a little bit, Lord. And, you know, really quickly, this, this still small voice came into my mind and said, uh, well, you better give more money away then, hadn't you? we've really been giving money away you know we've been given a tithe of our money to, to new frontiers for church planting and apostolic mission we've not been disobedient but the Lord it was like he was is, is it true is it theologically correct Owen to say God can be cheeky well <laughs> it was like you know God's got this sense of humour with me saying dare you it's like he's saying that to me go on give a bit more away and see what happens and, and so you know, just as, as the right things came up, again, we wanted still to be wise stewards, but as the right thing came up, you know, I, I talked to our other leaders and I just said, you know, let's pray that we, we cultivate this spirit of generosity. And, uh, it, and, and the money just kept growing. <laughs> and I, I don't know, you know, what the figures are now, I can't remember sort of how many more times income that, uh, you know, that, uh, that the, the income is compared with what it was then. But, you know, as we've persevered in giving, God has kept blessing us. And it's very interesting. It's almost like, at this point, we've come full circle in our own church life. You know, we've now got two and a half of us who uh, are working full-time for the church. So God has, has helped us to grow. God has helped us to get in a much stronger place. But guess what? It's come around again that suddenly we're a bit short of money. Now, I wouldn't say that's back to square one. You know the phrase vicious circle where, you know, things, you're going down the plug hole like this. I describe the opposite as blessed circle, going upwards. And sometimes as a church or individually, the Lord brings us back or allows things to happen. We come back to a similar situation to what we've been in before. But it's like he says, now how are you going to react to it this time, Rob? You know, last time, didn't react so well. This time, I'm going to remind myself of what God has done. You know they did that loads in the Old Testament. You know, such and such a happen, uh, thing happened, a battle was won in the event, and, and they said, build a pile of stones in this place to commemorate it. So when your kids say, what's that pile of stones there for, Dad? You can say, ah, that's to tell us when God did such and such. And, and so we need these stories, and we need to remind ourselves of the good things that God does in our lives, because he does take us back to those same things sometimes, because if you're anything like me, you don't learn your lesson first time. But I'm learning it more quickly the second time, and the third time, and I'm sure there'll be plenty more times to come. Now let me finish with one little phrase. Going back to Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, God's generosity was the first thing that the devil called into question. Have you ever noticed that? God said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, apart from this one tree. God was being generous. He's saying, here it is, I've created it for you, enjoy it, I'm a generous God, here it all is. What was the devil's lie? He said, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. Can you see that double twist? First of all he says, did God say? But he doesn't just say, did God say, and then quote God. He actually twisted what God said. So God had said, you can eat from anything, apart from the one. 
But he said, did God say, you must not eat? What was he doing? He was sowing seeds in our minds that God's a bit stingy. That God is not really looking after us. That God is not generous. Now what does this say to me? This, if the devil is so anxious to lie about God being generous, this says two things to me. First of all, it's true that God is generous. Because the devil is a liar. So if he's saying God's not generous, that means he is very generous. Secondly, it says to me that the devil knows perhaps better than us how life-changing it is when Christians get hold of the generosity of God. And the devil will do all that he can to work hard to prevent us from seeing it and living it. Because he knows when Christians get hold of the generosity of God, they're going to change their world. And he doesn't like you getting hold of that. And he'll lie to you about what God is really like and make you fearful and anxious. So put the, put the last screen up, not really a warning, but uh, a wealth warning. The generosity of God can change your life. Change your life for the better. Change your life for good. Change your life for eternity. And I just want to encourage you, you can't outgive God. God is so faithful and loves you so much. He'll look after you. And let's give ourselves to this vision that he has given us of eternity and working out that eternal kingdom here and now on earth. Let's just pray for us. Lord, I do thank you that when we talk about anything, Lord, we, we just want to start off with who you are. And what you're like, Lord, is, you know, we can look at ourselves and our weakness or the, the little we've got, Lord, and we can think, oh, that's not very much. But, Lord, you have the treasures of heaven available to us, Lord God. Lord, I thank you that you made creation and everything in it for us, Lord. Oh, and Lord, please just keep changing our hearts, Lord, and change the way we think and the way we feel and the way, way we react, Lord. And, Lord, we pray we want to be like you. Well, Lord, we want to be like you in this respect. We want to be abundantly generous. And, and Lord, you know we're all starting off in such different places, Lord. But I, I do thank you again that your grace takes us from where we are. And uh, I pray do that, Lord. Send your Holy Spirit to teach us, to equip us, to inspire us, Lord. And I pray for all these lovely people here, Lord God. Whatever else they're known for, Lord, let them be known for their generosity. Generosity of spirit, generosity of love, generosity in practical things, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.